Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. The subject, deacon or deacons. Now, a good practice when you study a topic, you study a text, you just read the text, read it, keep reading it, rereading it, and then bring it all you can to the text to see what's there. When you study the topic, it's good to arrange all the verses on that topic to begin with. To just collect those verses and to see what the data is that you're dealing with. Now let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3 in verses 8 through 13. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also first be tested that they may serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women or wives must likewise be dignified, uh, not malicious gossip, but temperate, uh, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of one wife, good managers of their children and their household. For those who have served well as deacons obtain themselves a high standing in great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They turn to Philippians 1, 1. Philippians 1, 1. Philippians 1, 1 says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Now, if you want to collect... All the New Testament passages about deacons to study the subject, we've just done that. That is not much material, is it? But, you really haven't either. The word deacon is a transliterated word. That means... You didn't simply just take the word and translate it. You gave the English equivalence of the Greek letters in this case. And so deacon is a transliterated word which occurs much more often than this. And if we just stop here, all we see are their qualifications. We see their qualifications and that's it. We find the church at Philippi had overseers and deacons. But we don't know anything about what they did. We don't know anything about their purpose. And we're left wanting more. But we are not at a lack for information in the New Testament. The verb form of this word... Is used 37 times in the New Testament. The verb form, it is usually translated ministered, waited, and served. Ministered, waited, or served. We'll look at some illustrations 
of this, Lord willing, in a moment. But, but this is the way it's translated. Now, the masculine form, the masculine noun form is used some 29 times and it's usually translated servant or minister and the feminine noun form appears 34 times. So when you add all of that together, you have you have a little over a hundred uses or about a hundred uses of the word in the New Testament that stands behind our word deacon. So just reading the English word deacon in an English concordance may not enlighten you a great deal about the subject. When you look here, I think you will find a wealth of material. Now I want to tell you what's going to be more valuable than the sermon tonight. What's going to be more valuable is, Lord willing, in the next... 24 hours or so. I want to type out all these references and send them out, type out all these references and to see how the, um, this particular Greek term, the Greek terms in question that stand behind our word deacon, how they are translated in these particular verses. That is going to be of most benefit to you. To simply look at those verses, to see how the word is used, to see how it is, what these people, what these servants do. Um, But let's point out, tonight's going to be very simple. We're going to just point out, first of all, some more unusual, unusual usage, usages of this particular word, deacon. And we are thankful for all of you visiting, thankful for the uh, Brongers being here and see people like Brittany and Roman visiting with us too. And we're thankful for, for all of you and your presence. Let's deal with some unusual ways this term is used in a way that has uh, nothing to do here with this concept of a deacon in a local church. But you do see this idea of servant. In Romans chapter 13, Romans 13, in verse 1, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, or he, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. For he's a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath upon one who practices evil. He goes on in the text to emphasize that we pay taxes in verse 7. Render to all their due, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. But as Paul 
Paul is discussing civil government. He says that the rulers, their purpose is to be a cause of fear for not for good behavior, but for evil behavior. They're meant to keep evil within bounds. To keep evil curtailed, that is their purpose, but they are described as a minister of God, a servant of God. Now we don't want to think, or we don't generally think, of civil authorities as deacons. But in a sense... They are ministers, servants, not, of course, deacons of a local congregation, but just showing you how this word is used. And it's used to describe those who perform this service of punishing evildoers and praising those that do well, at least ideally. That is what they're to do. Now, another way this particular term is used, turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. Hebrews 1 and verse 14. In a moment, we're going to see those passages from Matthew and Mark. But in Hebrews 1 verse 14... As the Bible is talking about Jesus being a name, being given a name so much greater than the angels. In Hebrews 1, and beginning with verse 4, he emphasizes in verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who inherit salvation? The angels, the angels are not worthy of worship as the sun is. The angels and their throne isn't forever and ever as the sun's is. But the angels are servants of God. In verse 14, they are ministering servants who render aid and minister to those who are heirs of salvation. The term is used to describe government officials. The term is used to describe angels. The term is used to describe Christ himself. In Romans chapter 15, in verse 8, the Bible is talking about God bringing Jews and Gentiles together into one in Christ. In Romans 15 verse 8, I say that Christ has become a servant, a servant to the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the Father. I say these are unusual uses of the term. I don't know. If I should really say that in regard to Christ. Because Christ is the preeminent illustration of a servant. As we will see in some other passages that we'll look at tonight. But I'll tell you what's shocking to me. Not only that Christ has served. But that Christ will serve in this capacity. In Luke 12, 
Luke 12, verse 37. In context, in Luke 12, 37, the Bible is talking about when the Lord comes, some will be caught unprepared and others will be prepared. But listen to the text beginning with verse 35 of Luke 12. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns to the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those whom the master finds will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself. Now this is Jesus. He will gird himself. The master will gird himself. And have them recline and come up and wait on them. Now the word wait, some of your verbs, I think this is important because as you look, there are quite a few italicized words if you're reading the New American Standard Bible. He will gird himself to serve, the words to serve are in italics. He will have them recline at the table in italics. But then that last phrase, he will come up and wait on them. That phrase, wait on them. The word wait is the verb form of this word that's translated deacon. Not only is Christ, has Christ. Served us through his life and death and resurrection. He will yet serve us. I don't know what that means. Nor what it will look like. But you remember John 13. Apparently, from Luke 22, the disciples had been disputing about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus takes a towel and he girds himself. And he takes the water and begins washing his feet. And Peter says, Lord, you will never wash my feet. It's unthinkable that a superior washes the feet of an inferior. It's unthinkable that Jesus will wash the feet of his disciples. But Jesus tells me, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with But I think that same feeling that Peter had, Lord, you'll never wash my feet, will be ours in eternity as he serves us, as he waits. On us. I just find that thought. Amazing. In Wild and Philippians 1-1. There's a special group of deacons. In the congregation apparently. With special qualifications. According to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This word applies to all Christians. It's been a long time in our assemblies since we read Romans 12. 
In Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 15, both of them deal with this idea of there being one body and many members. And in those contexts, when the Bible uses that image of one body and many members, often the point is that the members are greatly uh, different than one another. And yet all these people with different backgrounds and different nationalities and different talents and abilities, they are all bound, they are all made one in Jesus Christ. Now, granted, when... Romans 12 is speaking, serving here in verse 7. This is our key word. If service in his serving, this is the word that is uh, behind our word deacon as well, this family of words. But, But you see in context, he's emphasizing that all of us have a gift and we are to use that gift for the good of the body as a whole. Now let's just start in verse 3 again. For through grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of faith, if service in his serving, or if he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives in liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In a similar context, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5, there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And he talks um, later in the text about we don't all have the same gifts, we don't all have the same abilities, we're not all prophets, we're not all teachers, we're not all apostles, and yet we are to use our ability and talent to the service and glory of God. What am I stressing? What's the point? My point is that we are all servants. We are all deacons. We may not all fit in the qualification of 1 Timothy chapter 3. But there is work, there is service, there is ministry for each of us to do. There are talents and abilities that each of us have. And there are things that you can do to build up this congregation that no one else can do. And the Bible is encouraging us, whatever your gift, whatever your ability, don't think that you don't need the others, like the eye may think he doesn't need the other members of the body. Don't think that uh, that you're useless because you're not a seemly part of the body. Just use whatever talents that you have to glorify God and to bring the body together, growing as Ephesians 4 would say, into a closer relationship, a closer walk with God. So all of us 
are to serve in this capacity. Let's look at a couple of times this word is used in Matthew and Mark. The words, in this family of words, see how they're used. Particularly, we're going to center on Matthew 20 and Mark 10 in just a moment. First of all, this term is used of angels after the temptation of Jesus. After Jesus, after Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy three times with the words, it is written, and resists temptation. The Bible tells us in Matthew 4.11 and Mark 1 verse 13 that the devil left Jesus and angels came and began to minister to him. In Mark, it's translated the New American Standard, word ministry. But again, this is our word that we're talking about. What is the idea? A deacon is someone who is ministering. A deacon is someone who is serving. A deacon is someone doing as the angels are doing now for Jesus. They came and began to minister to Him. It is used in Matthew 8 in verse 15 as the Bible is talking about Peter's mother-in-law. And when Jesus touched her, the fever left her and she waited on them. She waited on them. Waited again is our pivotal word. The Bible talks in Matthew 25 in that judgment scene. In that judgment scene in Matthew 25. How Jesus will say to some on the right hand. Come inherit the kingdom prepared for you. For the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And they said, Lord, when do we see you in this situation and visit you? And he said, it is the much as you did it to the least of these brothers of mine. You did it to me. And then he will say to those on my le- on his left, I was sick and you didn't visit me. The words of Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he particularly uses this word. It says, then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or in prison and did not take care of you? Now the words translated, take care, are our word servant. When did we see you in these situations and not care for you? And his answer, I tell you to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Is it important that you fulfill your ministry? That you serve with the ability that you've been given? But I don't think any passage better sums up what we would want to say at the beginning of this series than Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. So I ask you to turn here. We'll look at the Matthew passage. The Mark passage is close to word for word. Mark 10 35 through 45. 
But here, in verse 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making requests of him. He said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two men of mine may sit, one on your right, these two sons of mine, excuse me, may sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, my cup you shall drink. But to set on my right and my left, that is not mine to give. But it's for those for whom it's been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. Now this is a noun, a masculine noun form. Same word translated deacon. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Philippians 1, 1. Whoever wishes to be great among you shall be the servant. In verse 27, whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. For just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and there is two there are two uses of this word in verb form, they did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, look at this again. And we try to emphasize When you're studying an account in the Bible, and this is particularly true for the Gospels, when you're studying a biblical account, understand it better by seeing what comes before it and what comes after it. And what comes before this is Jesus is once again announcing that He's going to be rejected, He's going to be crucified, and He's going to be raised from the dead in Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19. To show you how little the disciples are grasping of his message. Right behind Jesus talking about his own rejection and crucifixion and resurrection. You have the disciples asking for positions of glory and honor in the kingdom. Now it was bad. The disciples... Did that. Looking back at the cross. 2,000 years later. 2,000 years and we've seen God's plan that the Messiah be rejected and raised. What excuse do we have? For asking such questions. Could we sit at your right and left? On your king. And Jesus said, You don't understand. It is not the way in my kingdom, the way it is in the kingdoms of the world. It's just not that way. 
is the great men among the Gentiles that are served by everyone else. Everyone bows down to them and everyone proclaims their greatness. And they exercise authority and often exercise authority taking from others. Living a life high above those of the people of the land. He says that's the way it is in the kingdoms of men. But it's not the way it is among us. Whoever wishes to be great. Shall become your servant. If you want to be great. And you want the position to right and left in the kingdom. The way to do it is to be a servant. And the prime illustration of this is Jesus. Jesus did not come to be served. Anytime that you read of kings in the Old Testament, particularly kings who use their power, contrast them to Jesus. Contrast, for example... In the book of Esther, you have King Xerxes, who divorces his wife, Vashti. And then he calls for all the beautiful women, all the beautiful young ladies in all the land to be brought to him. You see, in a land like that, everyone's prime objective was to serve the king. But it's different in this kingdom. It's not everyone's, we do all serve the king. Don't misunderstand me. But the king was made the king by the fact that he served us. He wasn't living a lavish lifestyle at the expense of others. He is the prime illustration of service that he did not come to be served, but to serve And to give his life a ransom for many. I may have shared this with you before. But there was an older lady in the congregation that had a stroke. She didn't have any children. Her husband had left her early in life. They called it kind of an emergency meeting in the congregation to try to say we need a, someone to take care of this woman. We need someone to go uh, clean her house. We need someone to do some everyday responsibility kind of things for her. And in this meeting, they found out that there were two ladies in the congregation who unannounced to anyone had been doing that for the last few years already. If someone was going to prepare to be a deacon in a local church, how do you do that? You do that by serving. By serving whoever you can. Wherever you can, in whatever ways you can. 
And every time that you engage in selfless service, you're taking a step to that particular role. Lord willing, I have more to say in the future. We'll stop there tonight. Let us pray. Oh, Lord our God, we thank you and we praise you. To see, oh God, how you, as one who owns everything, sent your Son, not to be served, though no one else deserved that. Like he did. But you sent him to serve. May we stand in awe of that. And just as we discussed this morning. May the show of mercy that we have received. Lead us to show mercy to others. May it also be. That the service that was rendered to us leads us to render service to others. Help us to be conscious of the things we can do, of the people we can help, of the ways that we can promote you and your rule and draw people closer to him. Give us a consciousness of that and help us to fill it. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord willing, on Tuesday night, we will cover Psalm 41. Psalm 41 here at the building. So that will be the last of book one of the Psalms. And we would be glad to have you. We give the invitation as an opportunity for someone who realizes their need of Jesus to turn from their sins and to be forgiven by Christ. Jesus did not come to this world to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. He did it so that you and I could be saved. If you believe that's true and you know you need His forgiveness, we invite you to repent of your sins, to be baptized in Christ as we stand and sing.